Hello, and welcome to the Tuesday edition of the Upper Bowl GM Podcast. My name is Nick Zaras, and as promised, Rangers talk. Lots and lots of Rangers talk on today's show. My friend Casey dropped by. We had a nice discussion about the mounting frustrations with our hockey team. Casey is just as much of a fan as I am, but Casey is not an advanced stats nerd like I am, so I brought her on to use as a sounding board to make sure I wasn't sounding crazy, that the ideas I was having were based in some semblance of reality and that I wasn't just being a stats nerd, that I was still watching the games and seeing very real things, problems that are existing, some of the struggles the Rangers are having, some of the reasons I think they're having those struggles. And it was a very nice discussion. It got a little bit depressing towards the end, talking about just why we're so frustrated that for all of the talent the Rangers have right now, the results just haven't been there. Even though the team, as a collective, hasn't been playing that badly, the results just haven't been there. And we both came to a similar conclusion about some of the underlying causes of those problems. But before I get to the conversation with Casey about the Rangers, I do have to remind everyone to help grow the show. Any platform you listen to podcasts, you will find this show. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Audioboom, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, Spotify. Anywhere you can find a podcast, the Upper Bowl GM Podcast is. If you use a podcasting platform that this, this show is not on, please do not hesitate to let me know. I can get the RSS feed up on that particular service. In about 10 minutes, it's a pretty easy process. Doing a lot of stuff this week. Like I said, we covered a lot of bases yes on yesterday's show, talked about a bunch of different topics. Today, we're going to be talking Rangers. Tomorrow, unsure of yet. Thursday, we're going to be talking about the Nashville Predators, which will be a fun discussion. Stuff going up on the blog at Gotham SN, where you can read my written work, a lot of my hockey analytics stuff, which I'm really, really starting to find a nice groove of the type of stuff I like to write and the research I like to do and what kind of stories I like to write because that deeper hockey analysis needs to be available and digestible to the general public. And right now, that advanced hockey statistics discourse is driven by just a handful of individuals. And while I enjoy their work, it is not the most accessible to casual hockey fans. Uh, most casual hockey fans don't want to have to open Google Chrome on a given night during intermission to get a better understanding of why the team is playing bad. They just can tell from watching their team that it's playing bad. I look to paint the underlying picture, explain a little bit more of what's going on in that painting. So this week I wrote a little something that is about the importance of the coaching staff giving young players an opportunity to play in key situations, which is a theme that Casey and I both touch on quite a bit on today's show, but that blog should be up sometime on Tuesday. And then Wednesday or Thursday, depending when my editor can get to it, I wrote a deep dive about why, even though the Islanders are kind of boring to watch, they are extremely effective, and why, even though they've lost Anders Lee, their captain, to a knee injury for the season, if they, as long as they put even a competent middle six winger back into that lineup from a trade, the Islanders will be a very real contender even without Anders Lee. Now, with all of those 
important messages. We'll throw it over to the conversation with Casey. And with that, welcome back. A now three-time recurring guest. How are you doing, Casey? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. How are you? I'm very, I'm very good. I cannot complain. There is baseball on. We're getting to that really good part of the sports calendar where we're going to have baseball, hockey, basketball, the NFL draft. We've got everything in the world for entertainment going on. It's beautiful outside. We're vaccinating like 4 million people a day. Good things are happening. Very good mm -hmm. things are happening. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's a great time of year. Unfortunately, we're going to be talking about the Rangers, so that's going to bring down the mood <laughs> quite a decent amount very quickly. I, I, I don't know. I just, today was just the latest in the long line of, well, these are what the lines are in practice today and everyone looking at each other. This is the best we can do. This is what we're doing here. We've got 19, 18 games left in the regular season and our coach is still kind of grasping at straws of, Maybe it's just changing where people are in, in the lineup instead of changing what we're doing as how we're playing. And at this point, I'm kind of just exhausted. The season has been a roller coaster inside of a hurricane. There, there's just been way too much going on with the Rangers, both on and off the ice. So Casey is here to be a sounding board, to be, a, we'll call it a reality check for people like me who are the stats nerds who are spending multiple hours a day looking at spreadsheets, at data visualizations, at graphs, at charts, trying to get a better understanding of how the Rangers are playing and why they're getting the results they are. Casey is here to be the, well, I watch every game on TV. I think you're being a little bit ridiculous reality check for people like me. So let's start with the obvious. Coming into the season, what did you expect from the team in terms of results? How, how high were your expectations? Did you have any at all to begin with? Um, they were pretty much non-existent, honestly, um, with the team that, you know, we have being the youngest, I'm pretty sure youngest in the league, if not one of the youngest in the league, uh, you know, very inexperienced, tons of new rookie players coming in, uh, you know, losing or getting rid of Henrik Lundqvist, you know, we didn't know how that was going to go. Um, I think the only things I knew were going to be solid were, you know, Panarin. Yeah. Like that was about it. Uh, I had my expectations for Zibanejad. They were high for everyone. But once I heard he had COVID and he didn't get to do any practicing or any, you know, training before the season started at all, those expectations kind of dropped off. Um, you know, decently, not not high, but some expectations for Shesterkin to continue what he was doing last season, which hasn't disappointed. But honestly, I really didn't have much because I knew if I did, I was going to be let down. Um, because of what we're here to talk about today. Crazy line decisions, uh, some very questionable coaching, another COVID season. You know, I, I feel like I couldn't really have any expectations. See, I was in that exact same boat. And then we had three weeks of really good underlying numbers and they just weren't scoring. And I spent 
an innumerate number of hours just rewatching games and trying to piece together what they could be doing differently to finish those chances. Because for that first month before Panarin had to take the leave of absence, they were playing really good hockey at five on five. Mm -hmm. They were creating a lot of chances. They were creating a lot of good chances more than the other teams. They just weren't finishing. A lot of that, like you said, was tied to Zabinijad having COVID and not really being himself for at least the first month, maybe probably more than that, more like for six weeks of the season, he wasn't very, he wasn't himself. He wasn't finishing those chances. I know there were a number of times where it was a struggle for him to just receive passes in the neutral zone where he would stick his stick out to receive a pass and it would just bounce off. Like he had never Mm -hmm. played organized hockey before. And you could just tell it was a confidence thing. And that was a problem for the whole team. It was a real confidence issue where they had Mm -hmm. a really hard time scoring. And that's, I think what was so frustrating was you saw enough at five on five that you thought the team should be playing better. And that's when I started to buy in and get a little bit too optimistic and think maybe they're not as bad as they look. Maybe the numbers are here. They're creating more chances and they're creating more good chances. And Igor's playing pretty well. Maybe, maybe our expectations were too low. Maybe we should be asking mm-hmm. for a little bit more right now. Yeah. I mean, for me, like you said, I'm not a fancy stats person, but like, I'm also not blind. So I could see that too. You know, I could see the chances. I could see the missed opportunities and the games they should have won based on, you know, what they were doing and what we were seeing that just didn't happen. So I did buy into it a little bit too, where I was like, okay, you know, maybe this team has something, Um, you know, they're not Stanley cup winning material, but maybe they have something and they can kind of, you know, push, you know, push for a playoff position or at least, you know, wild card or just something. Um, and, you know, when Kreider got going, I got really excited. I was like, yeah. okay, you know, this is, this is great. Like this is, this was, that was a great stretch. And then he just completely disappeared again, like Kreider does. So it's like, you know, it's kind of like the cycle um, where, you know, you have, I, I feel like the only constants on the team are Panarin, Shesterkin, um, now Zibanejad being back to himself, Fox, you yeah. know, being the insane player that he is like there's there's not a lot that's constant on the team and I think you know that's kind of what brought me back to reality I'm like okay yeah this stretch is great and they're getting all these opportunities and you know we should be winning these games and you know it's only a matter of time before something changes and you know we really start winning these games and then I was I was thinking to myself I'm like wait a minute this team doesn't have consistency they don't have leadership they don't have there's so much so much that they don't have that you need to be a competitive team in the league, which is kind of where I reverted back to, wait a minute, they're so young. Like there's a lot of things that are also being done wrong from a management and coaching perspective. Like, you know, so while those chances were there, I was kind of just like, yeah, I mean, I got excited, but I recognized the lack of, the lack of consistency that they have. Are you in the same opinion as me where you think it's just a matter of the younger guys getting better and they don't need that much more from outside? They just need the young guys, the Heatles, the Kakos, the Lafreniere's, now Kratzoff, those guys to just be more consistent contributors. And then it's just a matter of filling in the blanks around those guys, because more or less, this is going to be the team going forward. Uh, unless they do something dramatic and dramatically alter the roster composition where they trade like three or four pieces for something else, this is more or less going to be the team that expects to make the playoffs for the 2021-2022 season. Yeah, that's definitely how I feel as well. Um, I think, you know, this is going to be the core for for a while. Um, And, 
because they're going to be at the core for a while, the thing that irks me, and I know we're going to get to this at some point, is the lack of ice time and experience that these players that are going to be the core are getting. And they're being, you know, shoved to, you know, fourth line, third line, when they should be getting opportunities at higher levels to, to learn, you know, to, to grow. Because this season, all, all over Twitter and all over any social media about the Rangers the last couple of weeks has been, oh, we're only a couple of points out on the Bruins and they have three games in hand. Like, we got to win these games. we got to do this. And I'm like, well, this season really, in my opinion, isn't about playoffs. It's about experience. And yeah, playoffs would be a great experience, you know, to, to get that. To, you know, to, to, for them to see what that's like, but it's about these regular season games and playing these regular season games and giving them ice time. Like five minutes, 10 minutes of ice time is not enough for these kids that are learning and growing. And yeah, they're not gonna play perfect and they're going to make mistakes, but that's the entire point of the season. Um, so I, I definitely think, you know, the kids are going to be the core of the team and they need to be playing with the Zabanajabs, the Panarins, the, the Stroms, the Buchnevich, like all the established guys that can, you know, show them, you know, what it, what it takes and what it means to be playing at this level. Like, you know, I mean, Keandre Miller, I feel like has been the, like the standout of the rookies yeah. uh, this season and what he's done has been incredible. And I feel like a lot of that bounces off Fox too, like just kind of, you know, seeing what he does, what he did and all that. Like, so I just think, I, yeah, I think I agree. I kind of went on a little bit of a tangent, but the, the core is going to be the kids. And I, I, I don't see any reason to make crazy line, like crazy trades or anything like that, because we have the parts. It's just a matter of getting those parts experience. I do think there has, in the three years Quinn has been here, there's been a clear disconnect in the way he handles forwards and he handles defensemen. He's been a lot more willing to let the defensemen just kind of be fed to the wolves. I mean, they really started last year opening night with Lieber Hayek on the first pair with Truba. And they did that experiment for a month and it was the worst defensive pair in hockey. And I'm not saying that Lafreniere is amazing. He hasn't been a standout so far this year, but you got to be willing to give a guy an opportunity. He was playing on that first line with Buchnevich and Zabinijad for, I'd say, the first three weeks of the season when Zabinijad was clearly not himself. They were getting out chance a lot. And since then, he hasn't really had an opportunity to play himself back up the lineup. And it doesn't help that they're not giving these guys opportunities to just build up confidence. I I, I know Mm -hmm. it's really easy to start harping on ice time. Well, all right, if you want to give this guy more ice time, who are you giving less ice time to? I understand that's part of this discussion, but at the same time, if we're bickering about, you know, Blackwell having 12 minutes and Lafreniere having 11 minutes, well, Blackwell's not killing penalties. He's on the second power play with them for some reason. Mm-hmm. You got you to gotta find a way to get these guys out there to your point of these are the guys. Uh, Blackwell is probably not going to be on this team in two years when the Rangers expect to be a serious playoff team. Uh, the Brett Howdens of the world are at, at best replacement level players who get, un- I don't want to say unlimited opportunities because they did healthy scratch him before he got COVID, but they just, there's been a disconnect in the, way opportunities have been handed out perfect Mm -hmm. example is the what 
he, whenever Quinn has had run into issues in creating offense at five on five, he always goes back to Kreider, Zibinijad, Buchnevich. Whenever they have a hard time, they go back to that. That lot, yeah. that trio has not been particularly good this year. Their underlying numbers, they're giving up more chances, they're giving up more quality chances, and they're not getting the fluky shooting like they did last year, where Zibinijad was playing out of his mind. They very well could have dropped someone from that, put that on the line, put Put Booch on the second line with Panarin and Strom. Try something else. The line that isn't playing well shouldn't be the line that gets to stay. The second line has been their best line all year. Whoever's Absolutely. been on that wing, whether, even with Blackwell, Strom and uh, Panarin have been awesome, even with Blackwell. Keep Kako there. The, Kako's been playing a lot better, and you can see what giving him that increased responsibility has done. He's feeling more confident. He's not taking as many bad penalties because he's not trying to overexert himself. He's not trying to make a flashy play to stay in the lineup. He feels like, okay, I've got my feet under me now. I know what they want me to do. And they're just not giving Lafreniere the same opportunity right now. And I guess you can make the argument that, yeah, Kako has the full year of experience under his belt. But at the same time, Lafreniere was outright dominant in his draft year, his age 17 year, his age 16 year. I mean, we knew this guy was going to be the number one pick in the draft for the 2020 entry draft. 2018, we knew this guy was going to be the first overall pick. And I just feel like the Rangers don't know what to do with forwards. Uh, you Look through the recent history with Booch, with Kreider, with Heedle, with Leah Anderson, any of these young forwards they've called up and everybody has gotten really excited about. It's taken two or three years for them to find their footing. And I exactly. think that reflects on the organization. I know you're of the same, you're in the same boat where you feel like if we're going to lose, that's fine, but you got to get something out of losing. These mm-hmm. losses have to be productive. Yeah, I 100% am on board with that. Like, I, the losses that they've had lately are just, they haven't been good losses. There's, there's a, there's, you can, I will take a loss where we have, you know, guys like Lafreniere, Kago, you know, Kraftstoff now, you know, up second line third line first even first line whatever I'll take that loss every single day over keeping the same exact lines and losing and not giving kids the opportunity and the chance to gain that confidence because you can tell they they're not confident because I mean who would be it's your it's your first year in the NHL your second year in the NHL you're playing with an original six team big city COVID year like you know, you know, you have these expectations to be the core of the team. You know, you have this whole mindset, youngest team in the league. Like, you're not going to be confident um, off the rip because of that. And you need that ice time, that playing time, that that the coach saying, okay, we're going to put you on the second line today and see what happens. You're like, you need to have that confidence instilled in you. And then that'll translate to the ice. And without those opportunities, that confidence is not going to build, which is why it takes so long for the organization to build players. Like, you know, when... The Oilers got McDavid when Toronto got Matthews first line every single night, the entire season, like they, and yeah, they had slumps in their first seasons too, but they didn't get demoted to the third or fourth line because they're, we know what they can do and everyone knew what they could do. So, you know, I, I definitely agree. I think it's an organizational issue. I feel like if you put Lafreniere on another team and he's handled better, he would be on the first line or second line almost every single night, and he'd have a lot more confidence by now. But I definitely think it's a management side. Because you look at Keandre Miller, like he's getting chances every single night, and 
you know, his first couple games were definitely rough the first couple weeks of the season. But then after that, like you could, you could see the, the difference. And if you were to tell me this is his first year in the NHL and I didn't watch hockey, I wouldn't believe you because he just looks so good. Um, and same thing with Fox, like, you know, second, what is it? Second year now? Yeah. Like he's, he's playing out of his mind. I mean, he's like top five defensemen in the league right now, in my opinion. Yeah. And he's playing in insane. And you have Kako second year and he's still, you know, like, middle of the road because he didn't get those chances and they weren't managed correctly so I don't I don't know specifically what it is within the organization I don't know if it's just purely coaching and lineup decision making and all this stuff like I don't know but like I saw the lineups for tonight and you know after Kravtsov's first NHL game you got him on the fourth line yeah how is that going to grow his game and how is that going to grow his confidence in, in the league if you just throw him to the fourth line after his first game it doesn't make any sense how do you feel about the organization's messaging to the public? Because I've gone very back and forth where it feels like they're kind of talking out of both sides of their mouth a lot. Like I know it's the beginning of the season that the season, like I don't want to call it season introduction, but that's basically what it was press conference where they had a media availability with JD with Gorton and them. The, the, the messaging from JD was we don't expect to make the playoffs this year, but it would be nice to make the playoffs this year was what he said. And, Quinn is coaching like his job is on the line to make the playoffs. And I, if that's the messaging their front office is giving him, that's not fair to him because they haven't given him a roster that's good enough to do that. And B, it's forcing these short-sighted lineup decisions where they're running two lines most of the night when these games are one-goal games. I, I know the other night on Thursday night when they ended up winning against Buffalo – they were rolling three lines. They completely stopped using the the um the Hedo, Lafreniere, and Blackwell line, that third line, and only were rolling the top two lines and then the um the Di Giuseppe, um the Di Giuseppe Rooney and why can't I remember who's playing fourth line? That fourth line, the checking line was out there. Mm-hmm. And they were they were completely phasing out the kids. And that game ended up going to overtime and none of the kids got an opportunity to play in overtime. And I just feel like the organization's messaging has been inconsistent to the public on a number of things, not just team stuff. The D'Angelo stuff looked pretty bad. Mm -hmm. The only time the organization has effectively done any public messaging in the last few years were the letter a couple of years ago and the stuff with Panarin having to take the leave of absence. Other than that, I feel like I feel like other teams do a better job of communicating with the public. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, Like you said, the letter and the stuff about Panarin were great. And I wish we had more of that because you know, I, I think, you know, I, now that you're, you're framing it that way, I do think it could be the front office putting that pressure on the coaching staff to push for the playoffs and say, we need to, you know, make the playoffs be a playoff team and, you know, not, you know, and it, that goes against those, you know, expectations that JD kind of laid out. It was like, oh, you know, we, we don't expect to make the playoffs, but if we do, it would be great. Like kind of, it's more of an afterthought the way that it was framed um, but I, I can definitely see how, you know, at this point in time, you know, maybe front office is kind of where some fans are at. It's like, oh, we're, we're a couple points out of a playoff spot. You know, we got to push for it now. We got to do it now. We got to be rolling our best players all night, every single night, um, you know, not playing the inexperienced kids, you know. So I definitely think that could be a message. And I do think there's a lack of transparency there um, about expectations. And I, I don't think. You know, if we were to talk to JD and have that same press conference we did uh, right as the season was starting, I don't think he'd say the same thing today as he did at the start of the season, um, because it does seem like expectations are different. Um, 
And I, I think having that expectation of, okay, you need to make playoffs or, you know, bust kind of thing. It's just, it doesn't make sense. Um, and because you see teams around the league, you know, that, that are, that were young and, and drafted these first overall picks and all that. And, you know, some of them made the playoffs their first year, but some of them, most of them didn't. And it took a year or two to kind of grow that. So, and that's, be, and they were allowed to because of the lack of pressure and expectations from, you know, inside management, front office, all of that stuff. So I think, you know, if that's the case, uh, I definitely think that could be why we're seeing what we're seeing. Um, but I feel like at the same time, it doesn't fully excuse Quinn yeah. um, because some of this is on him too. Um, Cause you know, in the game, he's the one that chooses, you know, who goes out on the ice and who gets to do what in game. So, you know, I think a lot of it is on him too. Um, it's just, it's, it's, it sucks to see, honestly, um, you know, watching development, probably not, go as it should be and uh, I don't know what's going to happen you know moving forward with it I know it, it, it's frustrating to me especially because while you were talking it reminded me that post the um draft there was another one of those availabilities and the I, I think it was JD was the one who said something to the effect of well we're still rebuilding we we think we still need more talent and we need our guys to keep getting better if we're going to be competitive soon and then it I just feel like there's been a serious lack of, I don't want to say coherency, but I guess that's the right kind of word. There's not been a linear messaging from the organization. And I understand that you don't want to put that edict on your coach's head because then you have to, the coach starts making decisions based on trying to save his job instead of trying to fulfill his duties, which is what, what the discussion should be right now is, well, Dave, we think we can make the playoffs with this group. We want you to push for that. But at the same time, you've got to be mindful of, well, we're trying to win a Stanley Cup in two years from now, three years from now, four years from now. And we can't do that if two eventual guys in our top six are only playing 12 minutes a night right now and are getting no power play or no penalty kill time. I'm not saying throw them to the wolves. I'm not saying to do what John Tortorella did in 2010, 2009 with those really young teams where he just kind of said, all right, if we suck, we suck, but you guys are going to figure it out one way or another. There's there's some rationale to that logic, but I also think that was a vastly different league 10 years ago. I think mm-hmm. the league is a lot faster now. I think it's a lot more talented now where you can't hide guys in the lineup. You can't play matchups as much. Like I know that's part of the reason Quinn said he wanted to put Kako on that third line was to try and play matchups a little bit more and get them favorable matchups against other teams' third lines. Again, you're playing in a division where pretty much no one aside from Buffalo is bad, and you still can't hang with Buffalo. You're having a hard Mm -hmm. time beating Buffalo. It's just Mm -hmm. been a lot of frustration, and it's weird because the the underlying numbers are decent. In terms of, like, they're creating a decent number of chances. They're creating Mm -hmm. quality chances, and Igor's playing well. I know Igor missed about a week and a half with that groin injury, but he's playing well, and it's just the results aren't there. The process has been decent. The results aren't there. I don't know how you feel about it, how that's translated in terms of what you've seen, but that's at least where I'm at. It's been very frustrating. Yeah, I will definitely echo the frustration. Um, you know, watching them, 
I mean, you know, years ago, 2014 season, you know, 20, even before that, and even the season after that, like I would always be super excited to like tune into the game. I knew it was going to be a great game. It was going to be a fun game. It was going to be super exciting. But now it's kind of just like, yeah, I watch every single game, but it's kind of like, it's frustrating. Like it's, it's hard to watch sometimes because I'm sitting there and I'm like, why are we doing the same thing night in, night out? It's like very stagnant. You know, I feel like we're like three steps behind everybody else. And nothing is changing when there clearly needs to be some change. If you can't hang with the worst team in the league, like there's obviously something wrong there when you have, you know, talents like Panarin, like Sabanajad, like Fox, like all these guys, and you can't hang with the worst team in the league that has what? 10 wins. If that, like there's a problem there. Um, And if you're letting them, force overtime, you know, two games in a row, losing one, winning one, but having to go to overtime to do it after having a lead and losing it in the final seconds of the game, there's a problem there. And they're doing nothing to address it, obviously, because it happened two games in a row. And, you know, you can't expect this team to, to be competitive, to be able to compete with the, the, the best in the league if they're doing this against the worst. You know, I feel like the playoffs, like if they were to somehow magically make the playoffs, it would oh, the be more demoralizing than anything. The Islanders, yeah, would it be would be, it'd be like the bubble was. They came out of the be, bubble last yeah. year, shell-shocked after Carolina be, pummeled them. It would be demoralizing for the team. I think at that point, it's, it, it, yeah, it would be experience for the young guys, but it would be more demoralizing than <laughs> anything. So I, I'm so, I'm very frustrated with the whole, you know, playoff push, playoff push. Yeah, I get it. That's the entire point of the NHL. But like, you know, the overall goal is to make the playoffs and win the Stanley Cup. But you can't do it when you have a developing team with young guys in their first season, like, and and their second season that aren't are developing and okay. aren't getting, yeah, aren't getting yeah. the chances to develop the skills needed to get to the playoffs, to win that Stanley Cup. Like, I feel like the mindset every year is, all right, this is the year, this is the year. Like, it's not thinking about, you know, three, four years from now and what could happen if we actually, you know, gave them opportunities now and started developing them now and, you know, where we'd be three or four years from now. It's not, a, I feel like, you know, the, the, the front office management, whatever, doesn't really look at the bigger picture. They're looking at the here and now. And it sucks because the letter was, you know, talking about rebuilding and the future and all this stuff. And I'm like, okay, great. They're, they're starting to focus on, you know, potential and, you know, developing these guys. And now we're reverted back to what we were before that. And it's just, it's, and, and you know, I do feel like I said, some of it is, is coaching, but we've seen it with every coach, pretty much the Rangers have had, you know, in the last decade or so, yeah. not developing young guys. And, you know, yeah, it could be the fact that all the coaches are bad at developing young guys, but it could also be that the people that are still in the front office that have been for the last 10 years are putting that pressure. Um, I mean, JD, you know, is new and not, hasn't been, always been there, but, you know, the people that have been there this whole time could have, could be putting that pressure, could be, you know, I don't know. I just, it is frustrating and it's, it's exhausting too, because it's like, you know, you, you, you do start to have those expectations and you want to, you really, as a fan, you want to see them do well. And even and if it's, it's hard, not, even if it's not doing well, you want to see progress. Like it's exactly okay, like circling back to what we said about bad losses. 
it's fine to have losses. You're going to lose. 82 games is a lot of games. You're going to lose 30 of them. Like, even if you're a really good team, you're going to lose somewhere in the ballpark of 25 to 30 games every single year. It's fine to lose, but you can't just keep doing the same thing over and over again. And while you were talking, I started thinking of examples in my head. And of recent memory, I think the problem the Rangers have right now is they're trying to do what the Lightning did in terms of mm-hmm. using their players where they bring their guys along slowly, they put them into that third or second line situation and build them up over time, occasionally give them more exposure. But for all intents and purposes, that top six is just, it's been more or less the same for about five years now. And they've trickled guys in through the bottom, whether you want to talk about Anthony Sorelli or you talk, go back even further with Kucherov. They give those guys trial runs on the third line to kind of build them up, get their confidence together. And then if they succeed, they put, promote them. If not, they stay there. They still have Palat. They still have Tyler Johnson, who are fulfilling meaningful roles in their middle six as second or third line guys. But mm-hmm. the Rangers can't do that because they don't have the success around them. You can't. Exactly. Uh, plug young guys into a situation and just expect them to be the difference they need a positive situation to be a part of and I can't believe I just thought of that wow okay um so in terms of just general frustration would you say it's more about the off the ice in terms of like decisions coaching that kind of stuff or what you're seeing from the players night in and night out or would you say it's a marriage of both because the decisions are causing what we're seeing on the ice? I think it's a marriage of both. I definitely think decisions that are being made are what is impacting um, what we're seeing on the ice. And had decisions been made differently, I, yeah, they'll be seeing losses, but they wouldn't be, you know, bad losses like we've been talking about. They wouldn't, they would be losses where we could take it and be like, okay, wow, like this you know, Lafreniere or Kako or Kravstoff or Hedl, you know, they got a lot of ice time. They got a lot of chances, you know, they, you know, just like, all I want to see is these kids playing and getting chances. It doesn't have to be scoring goals. It doesn't have to be getting points and getting assists. Like, yes, that would be great, but seeing them get chances and seeing those opportunities and knowing that they can make those plays happen is where that confidence building starts and begins to grow. So I think it's, it's definitely, you know, both where, the decisions that we're seeing and that are being made where, you know, when Howden didn't have COVID, like Howden was playing ridiculous minutes where we had kids getting benched for an entire period. Like, what is that going to do? What, what's effective about that whatsoever? And that translates to, to on the ice. You're, you know, it, it doesn't, that's, that's why it's so frustrating is, you know, we know that the players have the talent they have yeah. the skill and they we've seen it I mean a number one overall pick is not a number one overall pick for no reason you know he has skill he has talent like you said he we knew he was going to go number one overall for years before he even was eligible for the draft you know so they don't come without skill the skill is there and the decisions that are being made off of the ice you know doesn't let that skill to be showcased, allow it to be developed, allow it to be translated into the National Hockey League. Um, so I definitely think it's it's like that combination of the two that's bringing it together. And like you said, I, I'm not in the crowd of just feed them to the wolves, give them 20 minutes every single night and just 
you know, call it a day, but they should be getting more than, you know, eight minutes. Like it, that's in my mind, that's ridiculous. How are you going to develop a player when you're not even letting them see like, what is it? Like an eighth of the game. Yeah. You know, it's, you're, you're not going to develop players that way. You're not going to grow players that way. So I definitely think it's a combination of both. I mean, Kraustoff in his first game, you know, he had a chance. He, he made opportunities. He made good plays. And, you know, he got demoted. Probably, he got demoted and he's going to get minimal ice time tonight. What, what message does that send to your player? Well, what does that say to him? Like nothing, nothing good. It's like, hey, your first game in the NHL, you didn't, you know, go out and win the game and score all these goals, get all these assists. Sorry, you're being demoted and you're going to get less ice time. But, you know, what message? That, that's the message that sends. Um, and that, you know, I feel like hockey is one of the most mental sports too. Yeah. So that really messes, you know, I feel like that would really mess with the player's psyche. Like, you know, especially a young developing player that just came over from, you know, halfway across the world to play for your team in the middle of a pandemic. And that's the message you're sending in. Like, I just think it's, it's that combination of both. And that's going to translate to on ice play that lot, that minimal confidence he probably gained in that first game is going to be shot now tonight um because you know that's the message it sends and it it sucks it's hard to watch i know i've read a few things that jack Hahn. he was in the maple leafs organization for a few years he's wrote a few books he writes the hockey the hockey tactics newsletter which if you're not subscribed to you're really missing out it's a really nice way to kind of peel back the curtain and get a little bit of an understanding of micro level things in terms of player evaluation and understanding what is meaningful progress the way he what he uh, he described what the maple leafs do is they really focus on making sure guys if you're good at only one or two things in particular the maple leafs only want you to do those one or two things they're not worried about the other things you don't do as well they're going to put you in situations where you can maximize your talent and if you're a defensive liability, if you're not that great defensively, you're not great body positioning, you're not the strongest guy, you can't knock guys off the puck, they can work with that. They will find a way to put you in a situation to succeed. And I feel like the Rangers, to some degree, are doing a one-size-fits-all kind of thing where they're trying to – they're losing the individuality of a lot of these guys where they're trying to fit them all into one box where they want them to all be 200-feet guys, they want them to all play a specific style, they want them to all focus on trying to get those – cross crease passes those one-timers those high danger chances which are good in a vacuum if you're crossing the puck across the net mouth to an open shooter that goes in about 16 17 percent of the time based on what we know historically that's a good chance but if that's the only thing you're doing to create offense in an entire game that and point shots from defensemen you're the other team is eventually going to stop respecting the other things you could do as an offense and they're just going to focus on taking that thing away they're going to focus on taking away that cross center ice pass it's one of the reasons the rangers have had a really hard time with the penguins this year is the penguins have locked into that and they have really good defensemen at breaking that up Latang, dumoulin even john marino when he's been in there has been good at that and it's just uh, it's uh, insane to me that they're doing the same thing over and over again and they're repeating the same mistakes i'm not going to go out and say that these guys' growth is being stunted, but all it takes is one, two bad runs and you're done. They took Leah Anderson seventh overall. The Rangers mm-hmm. hadn't picked that high in the draft since 2005. I don't think they'd picked in the top 10 of the drafts more than 15 years. 
and they gave him three tries at the NHL level, less than a hundred games. And that was it. They said, all right, we're done with you because he just didn't have the confidence anymore. And he requested a trade because he felt the organization wasn't putting him in a position to succeed. And I'm not saying that's going to happen, but there's clear historical references to the point that if people don't fit exactly what the Rangers want to do, the Rangers have no problem with just discarding you. Yeah, I think I definitely agree in the, you know, in the sense that the Rangers are kind of taking a more holistic approach to the team and looking at the way that they work the team instead of individualized, looking at individual players' skill sets, their strengths, what they're good at, like it's focusing on that. And like you said, putting them in those positions, they're not doing that. And, you know, the only, the only players they did that with were, were the tough guys, the Lemieux, the, the gritty guys, That's the, because they're still stuck in that mindset of old time, like hockey from five, 10 years ago, where it was all about physicality. It's not about that anymore. And so they're not looking at individual players' skill sets and strengths and putting them in the positions where they can showcase those skill sets and strengths. They're just putting every single player in the same exact position, expecting them to do the same exact thing every single night. Like that's not how it works. Yeah, yes, they're all playing in the NHL. They're all playing the same sport, but not every player that plays the same sport has the same skill sets and strengths. You know, you know, like not every forward is going to be a top scorer. Not every forward is going to have is going to be a great passer and playmaker. You have to figure out what each you know, and not every defenseman is going to be blocking shots left and right, and not every defenseman is going to be throwing hits left and right. So you have to figure out what each individual player's strength is and put them in the role that you know lets that strength shine through. And that's where you're going to find success. Like look at the look at the Panthers; they're yeah. insane this season, and that's exactly what they did. They, you know, reassessed their lineup, their players, looked at their strengths and slotted people and their players into those roles where they could, you know, actually showcase their strength. Yeah. And they're seeing insane success. Panthers were a joke, like, what, five years ago? Less like, than that. They were a joke, like, two years ago. Like, two yeah, years people, ago. Exactly. P- people looked at the Panthers and they're playing the Panthers. I'm like, oh, this is an easy game. Now Panthers are one of the top teams in the league. Yeah, And it only took a couple of years because they did that. They assessed what they had. They looked at their assets. Like, yeah, they made some trades and got some players, but they looked at what they had, worked with it and put players where they needed to be. And the Rangers aren't doing that. They're taking their players and they're like, okay, you all need to be doing the same thing. Like we expect the same thing from each and every one of you every single night. And that's just not how it works. It's not how the sport works. It's not how any sport works. You have to put players where they can do what they know to do and yeah there's room for growth and room for learning but you know some players just have natural talents in some areas some players are going to be you know your McDavid's your top scorers your Ovechkin's and your your Crosby's and all that but some you know players are going to be playmakers like you have Fox playmaker he's a huge playmaking defenseman his he doesn't hit as much as some other defensemen but he makes huge plays night in night out Strom you know he's on an, is, is, is he still on a point scoring streak I don't even know but most of those are assists they're not yeah. goals he's he's a playmaker again like but your guys like Panarin is a Benajet they can make plays but they're your your typical guys that you see scoring so you need to slot people in the roles where they're supposed to be and you got to figure out where these kids are supposed to be and what their what their strengths are and the only way you can do that is by putting them on the ice and letting them play um they're not going to do that any other way that you're just going to have to like let them play, not throw them to the wolves, but you know, let them play with the 
with some of these big guys like Strollman, Panarin, and Zibanejad. Like, let them play with them. See how they work with them. Maybe if they don't work with the, you know, if they're not a playmaker, you know, put them with someone that is a, is a uh, that is, so that they can have those opportunities to showcase scoring skills if they're a scorer. Or if they're a playmaker, put them with a guy like Panarin or Zibanejad. Like, just see what they can do. Um, and they're not doing that. And that's, I think that's what's most frustrating to me is they're, they're expecting the same thing from every single player when they don't know the skill sets and strengths that each of them has. I do think at some point it really just comes down to a coach's comfortability level with guys where they have to cure those brownie points to get those opportunities because basically that first power play stays out as long as it wants to stay out for it. They don't really come up, they play that full two minutes and Quinn trusts all five of those guys that he's fine with Panarin, Kreider, Zabinijad, Fox, and Strom playing the full two minutes because he never calls for them to come off and we never see that second power play unit, which I think would help um, for Lafreniere and Kako getting just ice time because they're getting the experience of playing at five on four because at some point down the road, they are going to need to be able to play on the power play because in the playoffs, you can't roll a power play out there for two full minutes. It's just too exhausting because you're going to expect those guys to play more at five on five because in a playoff series, you're going to go lines one, two, and three, and hopefully not play your checking line, your fourth line as much. But at the same time, I just wonder what the messaging is in the room itself between Quinn and the players, because it really does seem like there's an, an obvious disconnect in terms of who gets treated like what, what qualifies as all right, this is an honest mistake. I'm okay with you making that mistake because you had good intentions. And the difference between, all right, you took an offensive zone penalty. We can't have that. You got to sit a shift. I just want to know what the mindset is. And I really feel like a lot of these frustrations, these questions, these complaints could all be addressed with just a little bit better explanations from people within the team. More pointed questions from people who cover the team day to day of, all right, well, the power play hasn't been succeeding as much. Have you considered changing the personnel? Have you considered changing what the team is looking to do on the power play? Instead of just idly passing around the perimeter for a minute 30, there's 30 seconds left. All right, it's time for Panarin to take a shot from the left side. It's time for Strom to take a point from the right side. Kreider's going to stick out and try and deflect one in. Uh, I just want to see changes. I want to see ideas. And there's been a dearth of ideas, I think is the easiest way to sum up up a lot of the frustration that's been building for a while now. And I don't want to say it's at a boiling point yet because God only knows what's going to happen when they play Pittsburgh over the course of the next few days. Mm-hmm. It could very well reach a fever pitch of, I don't want to say fireable magnitude because there's been more than one time this year where I thought maybe if they lose tomorrow and they get embarrassed, they'll get rid of him. And they, they came out and won the next day. So we'll see. We've done about 40 minutes now. Going to start winding things down. In terms of the long-term projection, do you still feel like the team is going in the overall right direction, that they're not a long ways away from being a serious contender? Do you, are you, in, you like me, where you feel like one more year, two more years, then I think they'll be ready to go? Or do you think that there needs to be a little bit more dramatic change? I feel like, yes, but there's contingencies to that, yes. Okay. Where, you know, if we keep rolling with the same things that we've been doing every single night, like we've been doing the past couple of weeks, then no, I don't think that's going to happen. But like, if 
the front office and Quinn recognizes, okay, we have so many young talents, like let's see what they can do. And, you know, does make that adjustment and lets them play. Then I think, yes, absolutely. So I think, you know, as of right now, yes, I could see them being contenders and competing with top teams in the league two, three years from now. But that yes, it is, is contingent upon the decisions that, you know, front office and coaching staff makes. I don't think they need to make wild changes. I don't think they have to go crazy at trade deadlines and free agency and trading people, sign people. I don't think that's necessary at all. I think the pieces are all there. It's just a matter of putting the puzzle together. And if they work towards doing that, then I think absolutely they will be a competitive team. But that yes is very contingent upon whether or not they, they do so. How's your one without Henrik Lundqvist treating you? Because it's not treating me particularly well. No, it's not going. It's tough. Um, it's It's been really tough for me. Uh, I mean, you know my history with, yeah. with Hank and, you know, personal experiences and relationships with him. And it's been hard. Um, I honestly think, you know, if we could be a fly in the wall in, in the locker room, I feel like he was probably one of the guys that stepped up a lot and was a big leadership force in that room. And I think that's also a thing this team is lacking right now it is someone that will step up and be that leader. Um, and, you know, I, I, it's been hard. It's been really hard. Um, and I, I genuinely hope he's able to, to play again. Um, with the Caps, like really, it's not going to be with the Rangers, but I really hope he gets a chance to 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 play and a shot at the Cup. But it's it's tough not having him. I mean, as long as I can remember, you yeah. know, he's been a Ranger and he's the obviously you know he's the reason I started playing goalie and the reason I learned how to play goalie and all that. So personally, tough and as a fan, tough. He was a rock for a long time. He was the most consistent thing in New York sports for quite a while. I mean, 15 years. And it still doesn't sit right with me that that's kind of how they handled it last year, where it was kind of where during the course of the season, it felt like they were trying to push for a playoff spot and they really froze him out where he was only dressing to be the backup and they were going Igor and Georgiev most night and pretty much every other day, three quarters, Igor, whatever. And I just felt like the opportunity probably, I, I can't say definitively, but if the season doesn't get halted by the pandemic, I think they probably make an effort to get Hank in there a few more times. But just his last game at the Garden as a Ranger being a 7-2 to matinee Sunday loss to the Flyers is always yeah. going to sit wrong with me. And just the fact that they kind of threw him out there. Same thing with the playoffs in the bubble where it was like, all right, we're going in with Igor all right, he pulled his groin, Hank, you got to go. And they didn't give Hank a chance. Hank played as well as he possibly could in that playoff series, the Mm -hmm. first two games. And they just didn't give him a chance. And it's almost ironic that that's the way Hank goes out, three games where the team didn't give him a chance to win and he still played as best as he possibly could. And the dipshit coach throws him out of the the normal rotation of goalies. And it's just another thing in the long history of the Rangers front office, not handling situations as well as they probably should. Uh, You mentioned it before about how the team very much manages things day to day. Think about this. They gave Brady Shea that five-year contract and less than a year Mm -hmm. after they gave it to him, they traded it and tried, Oh, hello. They they tried (laughs) to make him disappear. They just, they're all right. We want to get rid of you. There, there isn't that long-term planning though. 
all right, well, we've done this, this, and this, so we got to check this box along the way here. You got to be sprinkling in Hank starts there. I know this is obviously with the benefit of hindsight and knowing that the season's going to end the first week of April and they're not going to get to play out the full season, but you got to start Hank a couple of home games down the stretch, knowing that it's in your yeah. plans to buy him out at the end of the season, that this is it yeah. for him as a Ranger. You got to take care of that. Uh, I, like you said, I, I echo your sentiments. I hope he gets to play hockey again, if that's what he wants to do. If not, I'm sure he's going to have a fine post hockey career, whatever he ends up doing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Whatever uh, he ends up I, doing. I, yeah, I, I agree. I feel like the way that he went out with the Rangers was kind of a slap in the face, but it was also what they did to him for 15 years. <laughs> um, oh. And, you know, I feel like the only redeeming quality, the only saving grace that they could have now with the way that that all ended is when he's done, when everything is said and done, you know, giving him like that one day contract and letting him retire as a Ranger. Yeah. I think that would be the only thing that would be the saving grace because we know he's going to the Hall of Fame. Yeah. We know, you know, well, we we better know that they're going to retire, you know, 30. Um, I think they, I I don't think that they better, you know, yeah. you know sign him to a one-day contract and let him retire as a Ranger, um, even if he wins a cup elsewhere. And, and I just think that would be the most square thing for them to do um, after everything he endured with 15 yeah. years with the Rangers. Uh because he's he's the reason that they a lot have of a us. chance night in and night out. He's so, the reason a lot of us love hockey. He is absolutely he, he was absolutely. the staple for 15 years. I mean, he was an, the best player on a lot of mediocre teams and dragged them a lot further than they had any business going for a number of years. And then yeah. by the time they finally put a good enough team around him, he was too old to really get a long sustained prime with a good team around him. I mean, the two best years they gave him, he missed a lot of time in 2013, 2014, and Talbot had to play. Same thing in 2015, where he had the neck thing. And yep. th by then, he was already 32, 33. And that's not old for a goalie, but in terms of maximizing a player's prime, they missed their window of opportunity, where it realistically, they should have had a team ready to go around him by 2010, 20, 2009, as opposed to 2013, 2014, the first year they were legitimate, serious contenders. If if they had this team back then where Hank was in his prime, I, thinking about the possibilities of what could yeah. have been, you know, the, a, a team like this with, you know, parents, Benajad, Strom, all the young guys, like even the team two or three years from now, if they had that team and with Hank in his prime, I think they'd be an unstoppable force in the league. And it's mm -hmm. unfortunate that they didn't push for that back then with him. I like to think they've learned their lesson with overpaying defensemen, but then again, I just remembered, oh, wait, no, they gave Truba that bad contract. They made Brady yeah. Shea disappear, disappear after less than a year. They're probably going to have to – they're going to have to overpay for Adam Fox because you just have to overpay your guys on that first contract if they're as good as he is. Exactly. I think Lindgren's contract will be a good barometer of if they've learned their lesson with overpaying for defensemen because I think Lindgren is mm -hmm. good – but I don't know if he's uh, more than four and a half, five million dollars a year kind of player. And agreed. I, those are a lot of the decisions that are going to be coming up now because they have all this incredibly young talent. Like you said, they're the youngest team in the league by a full year after they put Kratzov in the lineup. They're a full year younger than I think LA is the next youngest team. But I just want to see meaningful progress towards the goal. The goal mm -hmm. is to have as good a team as you possibly can. And then you got to get in the playoffs and you got to get 
bounces and you got to have a really good team. The best team does not always win the Stanley Cup, but a good team that gets hot at the right time is what matters. And right now, I think the group they have now in two years could be pretty competitive depending on how Kako, Lafreniere, and Krasnov shake out. Where do you stand on going a little bit crazy in the trade market of a like a four assets for Jack Eichel kind of deal? Because I know that's going to continue to be a thing until either the Sabres definitively say we're not trading him or a trade definitely happens. I, I wouldn't be totally against it. Uh-huh. Um, but I also don't think it's necessary because that, that's, I think the Rangers have everything they need. Um, and I do think Eichel would benefit very much benefit from a change of scenery and uh-huh. not being on a team that has zero support around him whatsoever, because he's another guy that we know has talent. We've seen his talent. We've seen what he can do and the team he's on cannot support that. It's, it's like a, it's like a Lunkwa situation almost not to that extreme, but it's a similar situation where, you know, you have this franchise player that's very, you know, you know, he's got that talent and he's the only one showing up some nights. So, you know, I, I wouldn't, be opposed to it um but i also don't think they need to particularly go out of their way and massively overpay for him mm-hmm. um would having him on the team be great yes because he's a good balance between some of the guys on the team that are a bit i'm not gonna say old but they're older and are more yeah. experienced because he's younger but not as young as the young guys so i think he would be a good middle line there um but i don't think he's someone we need to go trade you know, every asset we have for. Um, so I, I would kind of want to see what develops with that mm-hmm. um, over time and kind of just see, you know, if it does come down to where Buffalo is willing to trade him, what they're looking for. Um, but I wouldn't be opposed if it's, you know, like you said, like four assets and, you know, depending on what those assets are, but I, I wouldn't want to trade, you know, any of the young guys or our top players for him um you know I, I just don't think that's necessary and I feel like it would kind of disrupt the chem any chemistry that is there or will be there soon yeah. um and with a young team you know you don't want to disrupt that but I I, I wouldn't be opposed to having him I think his skill set is something the Rangers need they need someone who can both shoot and create chances i think that's a mm-hmm. problem the rangers have where a lot of their forwards are one or the other they're not both yeah I th- panarin is basically the only one who shoots and passes Zabinijad was both last year but because he hasn't been scoring as much this year his numbers don't look as good in that relationship but other than that pretty much everybody is only one or the other strom is more of a passer kako is more of kako wants to shoot more and i can see it from just watching but he's still not getting to the areas where he needs to. He's not getting mm-hmm. as good opportunities. And I think a lot of this idle frustration that is simmering and building is just, it's been five years, six years since the Rangers have been good in the regular season. I know we had a nice mm-hmm. 15 games last year from the end of January to about early March when Kreider broke his foot. And we all kind of felt we're riding pretty high. We felt pretty confident. But for all intents and purposes, the Rangers haven't been good in five, six years now. And yeah. that frustration is building. And we've waited this long. We see all of the talent. And I forget who tweeted it, but someone tweeted, we have a top 10 player in the league in Panarin. We have two point per game guys on our team aside from him and Buchnevich and Strom. 
We have a guy who scored 40 goals last year. We have a top five defensive pair in the entire league. We have a top 10 goalie in the entire league. We have the first and second overall picks of consecutive drafts, and this team can't beat the Buffalo Sabres. I really do think the frustration is at least warranted. I don't think we're just, Absolutely. we're not just yelling to be malcontents that fans can sometimes be. We've waited a while now. There's enough talent on this team where even if they're not good, they should be more competitive than they are. Uh, yeah, I absolutely agree with that. And like going to what we've been talking about throughout, I, I'm at the point of frustration where I will take a good loss <laughs> over a bad win every single night. Like, you know, and a, and a bad win being playing your top six, you know, in ridiculous amount of minutes and not playing your young guys more than 10 minutes in my opinion that's a bad win because yeah you won the game but what do you gain from that moving forward what do you gain from that two to three years down the line like yes you got the win this season but you're not making the playoffs you're not winning the Stanley Cup why does that matter you know it it really the, the two points the win doesn't really mean anything if you're not doing it in a way that's getting guys experience. So I will, I'll take that, that good loss where, you know, you have guys like Lafreniere and Kako, Heedle, uh, Kravstoff playing, you know, 12, 15 minutes, like I'll, or even more than that, like I'll take that loss every single night over a win where it's just Panarin, you know, Booch, Stroms, advantage out. And yes, they're great players, but we already know they're great players. Like we know where they're at. And, you know, I, I just think giving them, like, not demoting them, but giving the other guys opportunities, too, where it's not just six, five, six players dominating the ice time every night, you know, giving these kids the opportunity and taking, you know, guys like Rooney and DiGiuseppe and Blackwell, yeah, they're, they're decent, but they shouldn't be playing more than Lafreniere, Kako, uh, Kravstoff, Hedl, they shouldn't be playing more minutes than them every night because they're not going to be two, three years from now, the guys that are helping the team push for the playoffs. Like they might still be on the team, but they're not, they're going to be bottom six for yeah. you know, the rest of their, their careers. They're not going to be the difference makers on their teams, but the kids could be yeah. and should be. So there's no, in no world should they be getting more ice time than, than the kids are. And that's what's happening. And that's, that's what's so frustrating. And that's why I'll take that bad loss or sorry, bad, good loss over the bad win every single time. Um, and I sincerely hope that's what we see moving forward, but I'm not confident it's what we will see. Um, but I would sleep much better at night with that bad loss over the, the or good loss over the bad win. There we go. The last thing, uh, the last bit of wisdom I'm going to give before we get out of here and let you go about your Tuesdays. I really do think the coaching staff kind of bought into that fluky streak they had about over the course of two weeks where they put up the two crazy games against the Flyers and they played well against the Capitals. Rangers shot something ridiculous, like 13%. For context, the league average is about 9%, 9.5%. So shooting that dramatically over what the league average is for shooting tells you that that was unsustainable that was the result of the flyers just imploding and stopping stop playing defense on that that was st patrick's day where they won nine nothing and then the subsequent matchup where they scored seven you can't hang your hats on those kind of outlier games because the the results in the other games just aren't there uh there's not been a consistent they have not put together a consistent 
two weeks that where the process has matched the results all year. Those mm -hmm. results were good. The process to those results wasn't great. Uh, the expected goals was a bit, in the nine nothing game. The expected goals was still only about 65, 60 percent to 40 percent, mm -hmm. which you would think would be a lot higher in a game where the final score was nine nothing. No, exactly. <clears throat> that was just kind of a case of the Flyers stopped playing. Basically, yeah. they really did stop playing. And while it was good to win that game nine nothing, they definitely needed that for their confidence. You can't bank on that being, you know we're going to play exactly how we did those couple of games we had where exactly. we won. And that being the difference between us being the sixth best team in the East division and the fourth best team in the East division. Mm -hmm. They are four I mean, points back. They have 19 games remaining. The Bruins have three games in hand. The, the math is possible. It's somewhere between the ballpark of eight and 10%, depending on what math model you look at. I know, uh, um, money puck has them a little bit higher around 15, 18%. But the other ones, when you talk about Dom Lestuchin at the athletic or, um, Mike, oh, Micah Blake McCurdy's model, they're both the Rangers have them in the single digits for playoff probability. So yeah, to echo what Casey's been saying and what we've kind of been harping on most of this episode, chasing that really improbable outcome with an unsustainable style of play is just, it's coaching malpractice. It's not the point of the season. Your goal isn't to make the playoffs. Your goal is to get these younger guys better so that when it is time to make the playoffs, we're not in the fight to just make it. That these guys play so well during the course of the regular season, they can just, they don't coast, but, you know, they can rattle off a 50-win season, a 45-win season, and not be too hung up and trying to just get in. Teams that just get in typically don't fare well in the postseason. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, I... I I'm at a point where I don't even want to make the playoffs this year because I want more of those those good losses I want more of you know I, I, like you like you talked about earlier they're gonna get absolutely destroyed if they make the playoffs and it's going to be more demoralizing and confidence you know it's gonna it's gonna harm confidence more than more than anything um and yes that's what hockey is about is, is you know making the, the the playoffs and winning the cup but I would rather not make it this year you know maybe make it next year but definitely you know without a doubt make it two three years from now with a shot at the cup because if they keep pushing and you know just barely get in and are just over the cusp and just make the playoffs yeah they you know a year or two from now they might win a round or two but they're not going to win the cup because they don't have you know, what it takes because they just barely made it in. They had to fight to make it in. And you don't see those teams winning the cup. It, it just doesn't happen. It, that's not the type of sport hockey is. Hockey is not like, you know, NCAA basketball where you have teams like UCLA that there was a playing, you know, first four team that made it to the final four. Like that doesn't happen in hockey. You know, you don't see that often whereas in other some sorts you'll see it year in and year out but most of the time in hockey it's the teams that dominate throughout the regular season that are that are making it making it far because they've been playing at that level for the entire season they've been consistent for the entire season if you don't have that consistency throughout the regular season and you're just scraping by and just barely make it in how why would you think you're going to have that consistency once playoff time comes around that's not how it works um, so I think, you know, I don't, I'm not even in the mindset, like if, 
I'm just not even in the mindset at all about playoffs right now. Yeah. Like I haven't really been like, I know there are a couple points out on the Bruins and they're three games back, but I really haven't even been looking at points, keeping track of standings because I don't want them to make the playoffs this year. Like I want the kids to get ice time. I want the kids to play, especially against some of the top teams in the league moving forward, like Pittsburgh, all those games we're going to have against Pittsburgh. Like I want to see them playing against them because that they're a top team in the league. They have one of the, top two players in the league still and I want that I want to see you know Lafreniere out there against Crosby at some point I think you know having those two against each other that's going to be a great learning experience for him and you know I think it was earlier in the season when they played uh either I don't remember it was Pittsburgh I don't remember Miller having a really good play on you know was it Crosby or yeah. I don't remember who it was like that was a huge confidence builder for him. You're defending against one of the best players in the entire league successfully, you know? And so if we put, we do the same thing with the forwards, put them out there against top players in the league moving forward towards the end of the season, give them that opportunity to, you know, maybe make a play. Maybe you don't score, but let them get that opportunity. Let them make those plays, get those scoring chances. You know, I think that's what I want to see for the rest of the season. And I think, that'll give them confidence moving into next season because, you know, 19 games left. Yes, it's possible they make the playoffs, but that's not, I feel like if this, if we were talking about this a couple of months ago, I might be more gung ho about, you know, pushing for the playoffs. But at this point, I'm kind of just like, I don't, I don't want to, I, I want this team is going to get eaten alive, you yeah. know, if they, if they get there and you know, if they were a little bit better, a little bit more consistent, then I'd say, yes, you know, go for it, get that experience. But they don't have that consistency. That Those those two games against uh, the Flyers, they took advantage of a very, very struggling Carter Hart. They took advantage of, you know, Vigneault making bad lineup decisions, which is something we've heard before, but we they took advantage of that. But the Flyers are a better team than them. At the end of the day, yes, they beat them you know, by crazy amounts both times, but the Flyers are a better team. And, you know, it's just, you can't take those two wins in that, those two weeks in that stretch with Kreider. And you can't take that and say, okay, we need to push the playoffs now because look, look at what we did. And then completely exclude what happened the last two games against Buffalo. Like the dichotomy between the two shows how inconsistent this team is, but it also shows the talent that the team has if coached and managed correctly. So I, I want to see that's, that's the biggest thing I want for the rest of the season is just seeing these kids getting the ice time. Give me Lafreniere on the ice against Crosby. Give me Kraftsoff on the ice against Malkin. Like give me these kids playing against top players in the league because it's a learning experience. Like they're going to learn even just from being on the ice against them. Even if they score against their line, they're going to learn from seeing that they're going to learn from watching that. And when they go back and review tape, they can literally watch themselves and see what they did wrong and see what the other team did and see what these top players in the league do to get these chances. And if you're not on the ice and experiencing that yourself, you can watch all the tape in the world, but if it's not you, you're not really going to learn from that. Um, So I'm a very much learned by from experience person. So, and I think that's what hockey is, is all about is experience. So I, I just want to see the kids play, let the kids play. 
Yeah, hey, you're preaching to the choir. I, I mean, if the, the fancy stats nerd people and the normal diehard fan are in the same boat, I think we can agree that something isn't working here. That, I think that's the, the general point we're making, that something isn't working here. There's ample time to try some things out, to experiment a little bit. I know I've seen a bunch of people say the easiest solution right now would just be to swap Kreider with Lafreniere, revisit the Lafreniere, Zabinijad, Buchnevich line now that Zabinijad's playing a bit better. When Hedl and Kreider played together historically, they played really well off of each other. Mm-hmm. I'd like to see a little bit of that. Casey, you want to plug your Twitch a little bit before we get out of here? Oh, plug my Twitch. Yeah, um, I stream video games on Twitch. Uh, I, twitch.tv slash actually Casey. Um, I play a lot of Valorant. Uh, I got a, been getting a little bit into Phasmophobia and now uh, my friends that I play with on a nightly basis got the Minecraft itch, so we're uh, back on Minecraft, but I sh- try to stream every night, like 8.30, 9 o'clock Eastern, um, and yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. I enjoy gaming. It's a good uh, decompress from school, so. Check out your content creator friends, please support us. <laughs> we all just want your attention. That's it. We just want your attention. We want a little bit of acknowledgement. It's nice. All of your content creating friends, it means the world to people like me, to people like Casey. Just check in every now and then. We understand you can't watch every single stream. You can't read every single article, but just check in every now and then. It means the world to us. We work very hard at what we do, even if it's just video games. Video games are fun. Video games are very fun. Enjoy them. Support your friends, please. And Support streaming, your friends. streaming does take a lot more than it looks like. So just, just drop a follow. It's free. Yeah. Uh, you know, drop, you know, say hi in the chat, give me some chat interaction, you know, that it, it doesn't take much time and it's, it goes a lot further than, than yeah. you think. It really does. It's just nice to see people care. The, basically, that's exactly. what it comes down to is it really nice to see people care. Exactly. Thank you so much for coming, Casey. This was a lot of fun. Of I hope you had a productive wellness day from school. I did. Ranting <laughs> about the Rangers is a wonderful wellness day. Yeah, it's perfect. This definitely helped me. I needed this sounding board because I wrote the very, very serious, uh, the coach is kind of an idiot thing Thursday night after they lost. I sat on it after they won. I sat on it. They lost on Saturday night. And then I added a few more things to that. So got that into my editor. So that'll probably go up Tuesday. That'll probably go up today at some point when you're listening to this on Tuesday before the game. And then I wrote something about why the Islanders are very boring to watch, but why they're very good at hockey. So like I said, check out your content creator friends. We appreciate it. Yes, we do. Check out Nick, please. He is a (laughs) wonderful human being and he works very hard at what he does. So check, check him out. That was so nice, Casey. Thank you. Of course. All right, friends, I will see you guys tomorrow. Not sure what our Wednesday episode is looking like, but Thursday, as promised, My friend Knox is going to come on. We're going to talk about the Nashville Predators. We're going to talk about what it's like being a hockey fan in a non-traditional hockey market. It's going to be a lot of fun. They're very funny. I promise you'll enjoy Thursday's show. I will see you guys tomorrow. I don't know what it's going to be. I might tweet what it's going to be in advance. I might not. I'll see you guys then.